Ho, ho, ho. It is how you say, la musique. But then you hit record and you're out the door anyway. Our whole relationship is a CD skipping away. Crush on Ray. I've got a, a I I have a uh, extra co-host this week. Oh. Um, I'm babysitting Smokey again. Aw, kitty. Yeah, I'm trying to get her to meow, but she won't do it because there's a microphone there and she knows what those are for. <laughs> it's funny because like, a lot of times she is a very talkative kitty, but of course, of course, seeing as she is a cat, when you do want her to talk, no go. I like fuck you. Exactly. I, I think it's a pity that, that like cats don't really have fingers just because, you know, otherwise they'd just be able to flip you off all the time. They don't need to. <laughs> the fuck off is basically implied. That's true. <clears throat> but yeah, good to be back. Good to be back. Indeed. And how, how have you been, Andrew? I'm good. I've got uh, classes winding down, holidays coming up, so it feels good. Got a lot of papers to grade over the next week, but such is the territory. Yep. <laughs> and I saw you got the uh, dissertation approved. Yes, the thesis, quite. Thesis. Thesis is done. And, awesome. Uh, on its way to publication, so that feels awesome as well. So you're officially... Best Christmas ever. Yeah, so you <laughs> officially have a master's degree in English. I believe so. Yeah, I don't know if they send me the like uh, the degree or or what, but yeah, as far as technicalities and formalities go, it's um, it's a done deal. Okay. <sighs> gonna, go, gonna go for the the PhD. <sighs> I don't know. Maybe eventually. Probably not right away because I'm a little tired. But uh, I'm I've been thinking about it down the road. I gotta admit, Doctor Marvin has a has a nice ring to it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I uh, my students call me uh, Mr. Marvin because I don't think I don't feel like a professor really. Um, being part time and only having a, a lowly master's degree, um, and Mr. Marvin is what all of my karate students call me anyway. So I'm kind of used to it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Doctor Marvin would be cool. Mm-hmm. And then what you should do is like marry someone with the last name of Monroe, <laughs> and then hyphenate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Obscu- semi-obscure Simpsons references for the win <laughs> and then they get a really gravelly voice that hurts to do <laughs> I have a little bit of follow up from our iTunes Elevered coverage um, we talked a little bit about the search function and how when you search for something in the new iTunes 11 like you have to search for exactly what you want so like if you search for um, Dave Matthews Band and Rapunzel which is a song in the old iTunes it would narrow it down to all of the songs called Rapunzel by the Dave Matthews Band but now if you search for Dave Matthews Rapunzel it says that there are no songs found for some reason as if it's searching for an artist or a song called Dave Matthews Rapunzel But Jim Dalrymple, I think, or Peter Cohen, maybe, on the loop linked to a very easy trick on how to get the old search functionality back, 
where you just pull down in the search bar, you pull down the little magnifying glass. If you uncheck search entire library, the placeholder text will change over to search music, and then you can you can get the old search back. So now if I type Dave and Rapunzel, I get every version of Rapunzel by Dave Matthews Band, which is a welcome relief to me. Thank you very much. I've just done that myself. Yes. <laughs> this <And> very <laughs> second. <laughs> And for what it's worth, iTunes 11.0.1? I, th- I think it's 0.1, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just came out, so that's that's nice. Yeah, I don't even know what changes it makes. Is it just uh, bug fixes and stuff? Yeah, it's so, brought, back, I brought back duplicate detection. Ah. Yeah, and it, it says that it, it handles searches of lar- large libraries better now, but I, I still haven't tried it. And, uh, and now that I know the fix, I'm not going <laughs> to. It definitely certainly does duplicates, but I, I I have a lot of duplicates that I can't really do anything about. And also, too, it doesn't... I'm looking at the duplicates, and it doesn't actually do the duplicate duplicates. Because some of these are live versions, some of these are just different so- versions of the song with the same title. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I think that's what it, what show dupes always did, though. Well, I've never used it, so no. I, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, no, did I have no extra no reason to. Yeah, yeah, I did back in the day when, you know, hard drives were a little bit smaller and, you know, you actually, you know, had to think about space concerns. And now I just say, like, I if if I have a Greatest Hits album and I have a the real album, I don't care if I have the same song on there twice and the same mix, same everything. You know, it's like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been tempted to go into like delete like the album versions of songs off of greatest hits releases because so many of those greatest hits and compilations have like exclusive tracks on them, and that does drive me a little nuts. But I I know it. I know too much exactly effort. Too much effort. Yeah, yeah. I I always like hate it when you get or uh, what's worse is a compilation where it's like you know nine shitty bands and one good one. <laughs> but then I usually might not. Then I might not really have any qualms about uh, deleting the uh, extra ones. So like I have these like ton of partial albums under negative land that are just compilations that they were on and mm. I don't have any interest in hearing any of the other stuff off of them because I just wanted the negative land stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like sometimes I'll keep some of those uh, like if if at least if they're they look interesting like uh you know like I uh potatoes from the the Ralph Records uh thing. I mean that one I I don't know all of the stuff on there, but Ralph is usually like pretty interesting so I'll keep it, you know. Oh yeah, I've got that same one too, and it, it's got a it's got a, a solo track by Mark Mothersbaugh, which makes me happy. Yeah, that's got a My Hometown, right? Yep, that's a great song. But um, but yeah, but I mean, sometimes you get stuff like you know where it's like, like they might be giants are like kind of good for this, where they'll like, it, it's kind of weird where they seem to be like big enough to be on soundtracks, but they're you know always sort of the the one the odd man out kind of. Where a lot of times you'll get like, you know, like there was like one that was like for some like Disney movie soundtrack or something where they did a a cover of Through Being Cool. Sky High. But, Sky High. Thank you. Yeah. And but the rest of it was like, as far as I remember, like basically, you know, My Chemical Romance type popular rock song, rock bands at the time, you know. So I don't I don't even know if My Chemical Romance is on there. They just seem like a band that would be. <laughs> Although I have to, I have to say, I have to say, like um, the uh, the fella of um, uh, MCR is also a cartoonist, 
And his, like, I've only read a little bit of um, his book, uh, Umbrella, The Umbrella Academy. But it was actually really pretty good. So I, I, I have to say that, you know, uh, Gerard Way, I think is his name. Dude, dude does have talent, I have to say. Maybe just not necessarily musical talent. Yeah. And even MCR is not bad to me. It's just sort of there. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there, there are much other bands I, I'd rather get head up about than like MCR. So. Right. And we don't have time for that today. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I think I did that last week anyway, where I went off a, on a huge rant about running over the black eyed peas or whatever it was. <laughs> now today we're going to talk about stuff we like. Yes. And specifically we're going to talk about stuff we like that is foreign. I guess you could say they are foreign favorites. You could say not that. To be, not to be confused with fireside favorites. For which, uh, see, what was that, episode 26? Uh, I think it might have been. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's interesting. I got a chance to listen to your picks, and it's a very Eurocentric foreign favorites. It is. It, it, like, I, well, the funny thing is, is like, I, um, like I, I was trying my, my damnedest not to choose something Japanese. Just because a lot of the the foreign stuff that I do listen to is Japanese, so it's sort of like I was trying to stretch out a little bit, and I also kind of thought that you would uh, choose another Japanese band that we both love, but you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I went with uh, a Spanish band that I knew you would like at least, but I don't know about Andrew. I don't know. Do you, is that a, is that enough of a segue for me to start talking? Or <laughs> I don't think that's it. as good a segue as any. <laughs> All right, let's get right into it. Uh, my pick this week is the debut album by Spanish electronic uh, group and uh, one of the founders of the Movement Madulia. And it's a good thing my girlfriend's not here because you would totally correct my pronunciation on that. Uh, <laughs> they are El, Evia, El Eviador Dro, which is actually short for uh, El Eviador Dro and the Spanish of his specialized pirate uh, pilots. I'm going to actually see if I can get the uh, actual Spanish and really prove how badly I am when it comes to this sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. El Eviador Dro y sus abuelos especialados. Oh. And uh, the album is called Ala Sobre el Mundo and uh, came out in 1982 and I... Well, let's hear a little bit of them now. This is La Televisión es Nutritiva. Hey, Mr. Picadena Tus mejores fragmentos Quisiera ver contigo And, uh, I, I got turned on to these guys thanks to uh, WFMU. Um, I don't know if, any, if uh, either of you check out the WFMU Beware of the blog. But oh, God, they, yes. <laughs> I used to subscribe to it, but uh, it just... It's a very high high density blog, and they post a lot of stuff every day, and it just got overwhelming. But one time they posted an, ar- uh, an article about uh, Aviador Dro, uh, called the title was "Spain to Devo, Do You Copy?" and sort of like explaining Spain uh, De- uh, Aviador Dro as sort of the, the Spanish syncretic uh, syncretic uh, uh, version of Devo. And yeah, that's not too far off. They're a little more like craftwork in style and sound, but. Uh, I started listening to them, and I just, okay, this is really good. i got to go check out their stuff, and I've uh, been kind of addicted to them uh, ever since. 
Uh, I've got a few of their albums. I've got everything they've done up to... Um, double check here. Um, stupid iTunes. Um, from their first album to their uh, 1997 live album, Siberiata, and they're in a compilation of like, really early tracks called uh, Vano Temporal. They're still around. They just put out an album uh, earlier this year called La Voz de uh, Scientifica, The Voice of Science. And That's a another, cool title. Yeah. <laughs> and another reason why I, st- why I really like them is that you know, they, they've been around since the, the 70s, and they're still popular, and the, the main guy, the front guy, uh, goes by the stage name Bayouvac N, is a big, fat dude with a big-ass beard who, d- who still does all the rock star moves. Like, dude, if he can be uh, a popular uh, rock star somewhere in the world, what's what's to stop my fat ass? <laughs> Seriously, I have to throw in a link to uh, a, a moderately recent performance of their song, of their famous song, Nucleasi Por Supuesto, um, because not only is it a really cool performance, but it just gives you a, look of a really good view of what this guy looks like. So, um, well... I love it. it. I think this is really good at synth pop, and it's a little different than some of the stuff I usually uh, listen to. It's um, a little more melodic. It's got a lot lot happening in it. Uh, and now it's also a little sparse, too. So, But I'm, I'm curious to hear what you folks think. Who should go first? <laughs> <laughs> I thought oh, it was pretty still- good. Oh, that's good. I, I was worried that that pause made me think that it was going to be the Spanish version of fetus. No, <laughs> this is not the Spanish fetus. Uh, El fetusoido. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I didn't. Um, I liked the music a lot, and especially like on the first track, I thought that that riff was really good. The vocals, you know, the vocals were obviously less accessible to me because I don't speak Spanish. Neither do I. Uh, yeah. I've actually um, gone and tried Google translating a lot of the lyrics, and some of yeah. them are pretty good. And at least with some of these, the titles are pretty obvious, like La Televisión es Nutritiva, mm-hmm. TV is Good for You, Brigada yeah. de Demolition, Demolition Brigade. See, uh, I would have said the TV is Nutrition. Close enough. Uh, <laughs> or Nutrition. Yeah. Um, selector de, de Frequencias. Uh, can't imagine what that would be. Frequency mm-hmm. Selector? Yes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, so... Since I don't speak Spanish, the and this kind of brings up a, a sort of subtopic, but the um, so the vocals really for me were just kind of like another instrument because I couldn't understand uh, the words, mm-hmm. and uh, so in that respect, I uh, I found the album enjoyable. I couldn't really, you know, the lyrics were the hardest part, made it um, were the least accessible part, obviously because I don't speak the language, but the music itself was good. Um, I can see the Devo Spanish Spanish Devo. Uh, analogy from what little I know of Devo, um, but yeah, I don't uh, don't have much to say beyond that. I thought it was pretty good. Don't speak Spanish. I um I think for me, like I I mean I, I overall I liked it. Um and I you know kind of known of um LA, I've, I, I've known of them <laughs> for um quite some time, of course, just because you know they are kind of known as you know the Spanish Devo, um. But it's like one where this is like the first time I really sat down and listened to them, and I kind of liked it. But I, I, I think as you kind of mentioned it's sparse, and some of the sparseness kind of threw me off a little bit. Like um, it almost sounded like it. Like I, I, I was kind of wondering, like, 
how how popular are they? Are they like a big band or are they kind of? I uh, I have to say I don't really know to how popular they are, but I do know that one they're still a going concern, so that's got to mean something. Yeah, and they were big enough to at least appear on one of the big Spanish music shows in the early eighties, uh, a show called La Edad de Oro. And but then again, I don't know what that means because the residents were on it, La Edad de Oro. Wow. If you, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you ever saw, have you ever seen the uh, actual the good video of the mall show, the one that oh that yeah, Penn, yeah, the one that has the roadie, uh, the road manager doing the uh, narration, not Pendulette. Yeah, yeah. That's from La Edad de Oro. Weird. <laughs> and now you know. <laughs> so, like I said, I they they've been around. They've been on TV. They, 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 they're, I'd say they're at least as popular in, in Spain as Devo is in the U.S. Mm. In terms of relative, you know, for relative percentage. Okay. Were they on a major or was it like a minor label? Self-released. Okay. Okay. That, that explains a lot because it does sound uh, kind of, kind of self-released in, in like a sound quality and... I guess the the sparseness of the arrangements. I was that, and I was just kind of curious as to you know how they were you know, and I was like, I guess sort of in terms of I guess how much of that is intentional and how much of that is budgetary restraints, if that makes sense. I can't really say because I know like their later albums do get a little more full. Hmm. Um. So, and also weirdly enough, they they started out as a very large group. Like they had. There's some videos floating around of like the early early days, uh, where they had like looked like ten members on stage. Wow! And then like they got down like a, a sextet, then uh, or a septet maybe. Then they then they became a quartet, and they sort of stuck with that quartet thing since the late '80s, early '90s. Mm. And again, this is just what I've seen from like looking up videos of them on YouTube and like looking at the Wikipedia article. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it is a little, you know, harder with some of the, some of the these kind of bands, especially ones that like, you know, never came out over here. Like, so I'm pretty sure there's like no. I think like that WFMU article might be the, um, the the extent of their um, introduction to America. <laughs> well, there was a domestic release of a compilation of their stuff around the time I discovered them. I didn't. Mm. I, I never found it though. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah that doesn't help and you can get some of their stuff on itunes um they have uh including the new album on uh on itunes mm. yeah yeah it's like one where like i think for me that it just sounded a little flat and a little empty and like it was like one where like if if there was like a remaster or remix of this maybe or something like it would have really you know been great for me but it was still like that i was you the know, remaster Oh geez. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I guess if they went back in time and and someone threw money at them, that might that might have helped <laughs> because, <laughs> but like the the content that was there, I mean the the actual songs and melodies and whatnot was all really 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 good. It's just that it the the sound quality kind of turned me off on it is all. I'll have to throw a, an album at them by at you called Chromosoma Savages. Uh, you know, and anyone who actually speaks Spanish who listens to this show is going to be is is practically uh, screaming right now. Um, <laughs> but that's got that's very good. It's got I think some other. It, it was a, honestly a question of whether I wanted to 
to use Alasobra Mundo or Chromosona Salvages uh, at, and as the pick this week. Because mm-hmm. they're both really amazing records. I just think Alasobre is a little little more consistently good. Mm. And I also should probably at least throw at you uh, uh, one track off of their uh, album Ingravides, which I know you'll appreciate. It's a cover of Planet Claire. Oh, awesome. <laughs> In English or Spanish? Spanish. Okay. But it, yeah, it's it's a really good cover. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So when you guys say sparse in reference to this record, I don't know if there's a specific track that you're thinking of, but this record did not strike me as sparse because when I think of uh, a song as being sparse, that means that to me that there's a lot of rest in it and a lot of moments where there is not a lot of sound or very minimal sound. And, uh, you know, like the beginning of So What, for example, kind of a sparse opening with just the bass and the and the piano. Um, but like this record, and maybe this is sparse, this is sparse in terms of electronic sparse, but I didn't think that uh, this record did not strike me as a sparse sounding record because it always seemed like there was some sort of sound going on. So when you say sparse, do you just mean like there are only so many, like the same sort of riff, like there are only a few riffs in each song or or what do you guys mean by that? Uh, for from, me, oh, oh, <laughs> okay, for me anyway, and, and uh, Rich might disagree, might, Rich might have a different a different definition of sparse here, which would be kind of interesting just because we're all like, using the same word to mean wildly different things. <laughs> but for me, it was kind of in the uh, the arrangements. There, there felt to, to me to be like kind of a lot of air there. Like, I mean, if there, that there was basically you like, if, if to me, like if, um, if, if this, if listening to this album in headphones were, were a concert, it would be taking place in a big empty, empty um, warehouse with the band's band members kind of far apart from each other and you also kind of far apart from them hmm. where where other other albums you're it sounds like almost like you're like smack dab in the middle of the band and right. they're like right there around you mm-hmm. you know and and that was like kind of how you know how uh this album sounded to me was that kind of warehousey kind of feel and i i think i've used the word warehousey before which is like kind of Kind of weird, but it, it to me it, it kind of fits as a metaphor of how something can kind of sound where it sounds kind of big and empty and maybe a little bit of echo, but you know it's like like the the room is the room they're recording in is or playing in is is too big, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, know a I'm, lot a lot of that is subjective too. So yeah, I was going to say kind of the same thing. Just uh, there's a lot of space between the various instruments and the vocals it just felt like there was a lot of room as it were um you know a lot of albums are like very dense as it were like there's not a lot a lot of headspace there yeah i hope I, it, it's it's a weird weird way to describe it because there's like there is no headspace but it like feels like there's like listening to it especially with headphones that there's you know you got the bass and then there's a this gap sonically then there's the 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 one synth line then the other synth line and there's the guitar line somewhere in there and it's all very sort of like separated Hmm. which can be can be good and yeah yeah sometimes Uh, sometimes sparse definitely works i mean there's like been some things where i'm just like oh my god like if this were if this were denser it would not work where with but sometimes it's sort of so it's sort of like a <laughs> some some bands are uh 
uh, thrust into sparseness. Others have thrustness spar- or uh, have a sparseness thrust upon them. <laughs> I think that some of the sparseness might also be sort of a stylistic choice because this is all like you know early digital synthesizers and stuff like that. And they have a lot of very uh, soft melodies. Mm. You know, there's there's a lot of melodic stuff happening on on these tracks. I think. Mm-hmm. And so having that room lets you appreciate that those melodies a little more. Yeah, one of the things I don't like about their later stuff is that they've gone from being is that they went more in like a housey, dancey, thump thump direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's still the case with some of their newer stuff. I only like listen to a sample or two off of their their newest album. But like sort of after the album uh, Trance in nineteen ninety, which has one of my favorite songs on there, I just sort of like everything I heard just like a kind of mix ago. Meh. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny too. Like just on, on the topic of sparseness, where like sometimes you can have things like uh, you know some you know some jazz kind of things where it's sparse, like like what you say with the bass, where you can it the sparseness works in that you can basically feel and hear like. Even like you know the, the the fingers moving on the strings, kind of. It, it's almost like they're right next to your ear, like whispering a secret into you, only with the right. instrument, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but and so it there, yeah. There's different types of sparseness. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's an arrangement. Sometimes it's in like composition. Sometimes you know, I don't know. It's and it it is like an one of those nebulous kind of words that. We can say and just assume that people know what we mean, even though we're kind of talking out our asses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. I'm, I'm uh, with you on that one. And so from the uh, from from Spain, we move uh, to the north and to the east across the Pyrenees Mountains into <laughs> France. Francais. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. <sighs> It is how you say la musique. <laughs> why? Yeah. Why is it that the stereotypical like French person always has this like really deep, slimy kind of voice? <laughs> I don't know. Slimy is a good way to put it, though. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like I, you know, it's like not even like saying anything like at all. It's just like, oh, you know, we're going to talk about music now. But it sounds like it's like. <laughs> We're 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 gonna do all sorts of nasty things to the music, man. It's it's mm. like you know, it, it's gonna we're we're you're gonna have to put the kids to bed now. <laughs> yeah, uh, that might be a this good, in the shower. <laughs> that might be a good segue into uh, the Sergey Gainsbourg album, though. Ah, uh, yeah, because that is kind of what that's about, isn't it? Kinda, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess it's it's probably he's probably one of the reasons why we think of the stereotypical Frenchman as like the you know gross slimy guy because that's kind of his persona <laughs> um so uh the the one that i i talked about or uh, pulled was uh uh history de uh melody nelson which is what uh, de melody nelson i'm oh, sorry okay. i took four years of french so i can actually pronounce that a little better than the spanish awesome okay so you can actually like correct all of my terrible things then when uh, I, I, I i can't promise you that okay <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I I don't know French, but I think it might mean the uh, history of Melody Nelson. Huh. <laughs> Just a hunch. <laughs> nah. 
<laughs> but um, anyway, though, uh, this it, it's a it's one of like my favorite uh, Gainsbourg albums, and it's very. I mean, it's it's a it's only about a half an hour long, um, which I think Rich probably appreciated being you know so slammed for the past couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I got something interesting to say about that, but I'll save it for my turn. Okay, but um, yeah, it's it's very lush, and it's it was uh, arranged by uh, Jean Claude Vanier, who is also really amazing, and uh, did an album of his own afterwards called uh, La Fonte Assassine uh, des Mouches, which is the uh, Child Killer of Flies in English. Um, which was um, basically the the kind of the, the follow up, and it's sort of Melody Nelson Part Two, not in terms of story, but just in sound. Um, and the actual story for uh, La Font Assassin uh, was written by Gainsbourg, and it's basically with that with that one, it's about a the the rough story is there's a little kid who kills flies. Um, they end up like shrinking him down and. Uh, he ends up having like a dinner and ball with the king of the flies and then uh, goes psycho and starts killing the flies again. And the flies like kill him. It, it's been a little while since I've read the full on story, so it might be a little off there. But what you're going to do? Um, definitely uh, read or definitely uh, pick up the album because it's amazing, especially if you like this one, which um, why don't we hear a little bit now of uh, this is from the track. uh Cargo Cult. Où es-tu, Mélodie Et ton corps disloqué Hante-t-il l'archipel que peuple les sirènes Accroché au cargo dans la sirène d'alarme, sais-tu, es-tu resté The beginning of which sounds a lot like the first track. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it is pretty cyclical, which is kind of bookends cool. that way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, I guess I should talk because um, I talked about the story of the unrelated album. I should probably talk about the story of this album. Um, what a what a what an odd concept that is, I suppose. Um, but it's basically it's a kind of mini opera concept record, whatever you want to um, call it. As the uh, narrator accidentally running over a teenage girl with his car and then having a tryst with her, and basically the it's the relationship kind of falls apart because she's like fifteen, and like Gainsbourg actually like has like refers to the the narrator on the album as himself. So it's, I mean, it's not a true story. I'll, you know, of course, cause yeah, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's um, yeah. And then basically the last cult or the last track there, Colorado cult is where uh, Melody is flying away um, to America, but her plane explodes like halfway. And like, it's this kind of weird metaphor o- about, like basically like Melody's body being delivered to uh you know the uh the islands that she was over uh in the same way as a cargo cult. Um and you guys know what cargo cults are. 
I do. No. Okay. Cargo cults are really, really fucking interesting. <laughs> okay. But, um, the, like, you, they're also kind of uh, car- called the uh, cult of John Frum. And what they are, are um, basically during, like, uh, World War II uh, in the Pacific Theater, uh, what the Americans would do is they would um, build bases on a lot of these, the really little, like, Polynesian-type islands because, you know, as we were fighting the Japanese. And we would kind of get closer and closer. And what would happen is, of course, we would build, pardon, we would build um, bases there, you know, like with airstrips and buildings and all that fun stuff. So so we could, uh, so our... Uh, uh, fighting men could get supplies, and the the um, the people who were already living on the island, the natives, dug this too because since they weren't tied up in the fight, you know, every and had no out- allegiances one way or the other because they they were pretty primitive in their own way and didn't really know a whole lot about the world at large. So basically, they would befriend the Americans and get and get some of the cast off supplies or whatnot. And so they would they would um, benefit pretty well from this deal as well, but anyway, as as all things must, the the war wrapped up, <laughs> and so the Americans went home, and like they you know disassembled their bases because they were you know kind of mobile units and whatnot, uh, disassembled the bases, went home, and leaving the uh, the natives to to resume their their normal lives. Except that's not quite what happened is because um, the, the natives actually tended to like getting supplies and things that they needed airlifted to them. I mean, you know, that's kind of an odd, odd thing to like, I know. But, you know, having, you know, having people actually like bring you things that you need. <laughs> so what they did was they, they realized they, or they quote unquote realized in their own, and, and it's kind of a child's logic that if they if they built the the airstrips and bases again that would bring bring the planes so and because because again they didn't know really about the war and what was going on and why these people were coming they just knew that you know air or airstrips meant cargo so they spent lots and lots of time of building airstrips and the bases back as as perfect as they could to make the planes come again. And of course the planes didn't come because there wasn't a war on and there weren't, you know, they weren't official bases or anything. And so they'd go, well, okay, we obviously fucked this up somehow. And then they, you know, try to make the airstrip and the base better. Still no plane, better, no plane, better, no plane. And, but yeah, basically it's the, a, a child's logic of, Looking at the at what's happening and drawing the wrong conclusion, even though the conclusion does make sense in its own way. I mean, like if you didn't know about the war and what, like I think that that would be a a logical, or at least semi logical assumption is that these things bring planes, which brings stuff. So it's just uh, really, I I find the concept of cargo cults um, really really amazing in that idea of cargo cult logic of mirroring something that you see to get a result that isn't the, you know, it, it ends up not actually being the, the logical cause and effect 
but you just don't know that because you don't know enough to know what the actual cause is. So, so, um, yeah, I, I just find cargo cults in, insanely fascinating and, uh, you know, and it's, it's just like kind of an, like a weird anthropological kind of thing. And, but yeah, and, and this is a real thing. This is a real thing. I'm not making this up. It's, it's interesting stuff. And hmm. yeah, there's, there's actually a handsome family song called, uh, when that helicopter comes, which is basically a, um, uh, a American South type gospel hymn kind of thing, except that instead of being about, about Jesus, it's about a helicopter bringing cargo. It's, it's like basically a, if, if cargo cults originated in the American South, that's what they're like, or the Appalachians or whatever. That's what that, that's what they would probably sing. If that makes sense. It does to me. And I'll, I'll throw a link to that in the show notes also, but, but yeah, I, I, I just find them fascinating. Well, back to the uh, perverted old French guy and the, (laughs) 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 yeah. So, so yeah, it's um, really great album. I love the sound of the album because again, like the, the, um, the CD from um, light in the attic does come with a translated booklet. It comes with like French on one side, English on the other. So you can actually follow the story if you don't know French, like I, like <laughs> if you're like me, <laughs> um, or like me. I only I took French for four years, so I don't remember any of it. I just have a better way idea of how to pronounce it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just like really cool. It's like the um, arrangements are amazing, and like the bass sound really. It's like very punchy and clean, and it's like a focal point, but it doesn't overpower the rest of the track either. It's or tracks either. It's. I don't know. I, I, I just love it. And I, I think it's a really wonderful uh, record. And if you like this, check out the Van, uh, Vanier album, uh, Le Fon Assassin des Mouches. Um, another, another one that I will throw in the, uh, uh, the show notes. But, but yeah, um, I just love this stuff. So what, what, what did you all think? Or do you want to talk about Cargo Cult some more? <laughs> By the way, every time you mention that second album, I just keep thinking of Infinite Jest. <laughs> it's a lot shorter. <laughs> yeah, I but I just, I'm just thinking, yeah, the Le uh, Fault, something or other, the Wheelchair oh, Assassins. Yes, yes, the, oh, the Le Sassin de Rolou. I think, I think that, something like that. God, I, 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 if I had my copy of the book handy, I'd, I'd go <laughs> check. Yeah, if if I if I knew French, I'd probably be able to rattle it off, but I don't, and so I just kind of remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Uh, the other day, while wandering around the city, we stopped in a music store, and they had the deluxe version of this record. Um, so I was a little surprised. Like, hmm, half hour record? How 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 much can they pad it out to turn it into a box set? I didn't know there was a box set type of thing in this. Yeah, now you do. Wow, I, I'm wondering what's in it. Uh. Looks like like alternate takes and some and a big ass book and some other stuff. Does it have, does it have DVD? Because there was actually like a a special that they made, like a half hour special of of um, Melody Nelson. Maybe. Okay, I'm 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 googling it right now. Yeah, because it was on a shelf. I couldn't really flip, look at it. Um, oh wow! It's like I found it here. It's like a let's see, a hundred and twenty five dollar. Box set is what it looks like. Yeah, start I mean, saving your pennies. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. So, what's, so, 
Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I did not know what to expect going into this. Um, oh, awesome. It does come with the uh, DVD. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. And it's, yeah, very lush, very cinematic. It, it, it honestly, the fact that they made a movie or a TV show or special thing with moving pictures out of it doesn't surprise me in the least. Mm-hmm. Because it may as well have been a movie just without the, this may just well have been a recording of a film uh, without the, onto an audio tape or something. And yeah, I had a little trouble following the story. And if you hadn't told me about the Cargo Cult thing, I never would have got the, what, what Cargo Cult was all about. I never would have gotten it uh, at all. Mm-hmm. I just know, I mean, I just going by the, I remember reading the Wikipedia article on the, on the album going, basically, and it's, it's a guy hits a teenage girl with his car. She's okay. They fall in love. They have sex. She dies. <laughs> it's, that's that's pretty much the, the short version, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a story as old as time. <laughs> yes. Before there were cars, it was hitting teenage girls with your horse. <laughs> Before there were horses, it was just walking into a teenage girl and knocking her over. <laughs> um, hitting her with a rock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, also, I read somewhere where the uh, talking about the bass on the record. The, uh, I don't know the name of the bass player, but he played bass on uh, Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wikipedia says it's Dave Richmond. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you got to admit, the bass on uh, Walk on the Wild Side is a little overplayed, but it, it's a great album that it's on, and it's it got some great bass on that, on, that, mm-hmm. on that song. Yeah. I mean, Transformer is my favorite Lou Reed album, Walk on the Wild Side or no Walk on the Wild Side. I should really pick that, make that a pick one of these days. So yeah, I you like should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty great. Um, the bass is awesome. Uh, this is a record that I would describe as sparse, uh, and I like how it is. It kind of has the same, and Wikipedia touches on this a little bit, and it's a little blurb, but it kind of has the same feel throughout. So it it sort of um, has the feel of being one cohesive piece of music. Uh, and I think the length helps with that too, because it's only about 28 or 30 minutes long. So it, uh, it really feels like a sort of a cohesive thing that you can really kind of take in as a sort of one entity. Um, but yeah, it is very lush despite being so sparse in a lot of ways. And I like the, the orchestra parts, um, especially in cargo cult. And, uh, yeah, I just thought it was great. I thought the vocals were very creepy, um, <laughs> you know. But uh, but I like it. I think it, uh, the spoken word kind of feel makes it very memorable, and and uh, I thought it was pretty great. Cool. Okay. And I, I and I would agree with you on on the album sounding sparse too. I mean, there does seem to be a lot of again a lot of like kind of air in it, but but not in a bad way. I think I think it really works the way it sounds. So the the sparseness I think works. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I'd have to check out the uh, the, the uh, other album, the one about the wheelchair assassins or the fly assassins. <laughs> the yeah, other I mean, album. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it's like, I, I like honestly, I mean, I, I like kind of like what you were talking about um, with the uh, Velvet's uh, box set where they shoved the Nico record in. I could kind of see doing the same thing, like if in that in that huge box set that I just discovered from you telling me about it, if they had shoved. Um, uh, the Vanier album, man, I could totally see that because even though they're again, 
you know, officially different artists. There's it's a lot of the same people working on it. And yeah, it's it's they really are kind of two sides of the same coin. And I'm doing like this weird, like little hand motion thing that you guys can't see because it's radio. But <laughs> but it, yeah, it's, it, it's much like overnight sensation and apostrophe. Yes. Yes. It's just that this one, it'd be like if, if, well, I actually, I guess it was because like Overnight was credited to the mothers, wasn't it? And yeah. Apostrophe was credited to Zappa, wasn't it? I believe that's correct. So I guess it kind of is like pretty much the same thing then. So there you go. But yeah, I, I, I dug it and it's kind of funny too with like Gainsbourg. He's done a lot of other things too. Like I, I have a little like slim novella up that he wrote about, a man who farts a lot. <laughs> I, I'm again not making that up. <laughs> uh, it's called uh, Yevgeny Sokolov, and basically, it's the it's one where like the 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 character in Yevgeny Sokolov does seem to have a lot in common with Gainsbourg. Um, just that hopefully Gainsbourg didn't fart all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but yeah, and and both both are artists except that Gainsbourg went into music and Sokolov went into visual art making gasograms, which are jagged lines made on paper as he farts while sitting on a spring loaded bicycle seat. <laughs> and there is apparently a song that Gainsbourg made called Yevgeny Sokolov, which was just made up of fart noises. So there you go. <laughs> Got nothing to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> farting huh. <laughs> yeah yeah it's he he was an interesting fellow and like also you know i mean there's also the the famous like whitney houston i want to fuck you thing where he was on a talk show with her it was like host serge gainsbourg whitney houston and he he goes like i want to fuck you in french in french and then she goes, she kind of laughs and goes, uh, I, I don't know French. And he goes, oh, I want to fuck you in English. And she kind of goes like, oh, uh, uh, thanks. <laughs> so. Nice. <laughs> so hooray for making Whitney Houston incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, indeed. So. I think you have an album to talk about too, Andrew, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, staying in France, my uh, pick this week is an album called, but not necessarily pronounced, Varek. Can you confirm that, Rich? Um, I would say Varek. Don't hold okay, me to that. V-A-R-E-C-H. And this is an album Varek? by Henry... Varek? <laughs> sorry. That's okay. This is an album by Henry Texier or Texier. Henri um, Texier. Yes. We. Oui. And um, I know very little about this guy and I know very little about the album other than the fact that I think it's awesome. Uh, I do know that he is a French jazz double bassist who was born in Paris in 1945, according to Wikipedia. And this is an album that I discovered through the Aquarium Drunkard blog. Mm. which is a music blog that I mentioned a couple times on the show, I think, um, who, which I think is pretty much, I think it's a one-man show, and he posts very eclectic sort of uh, things. Um, and he didn't even uh, write about this guy. He just, I just noticed that it was in his sidebar, the album art, 
was in his sidebar as one of the albums he was currently listening to. And it was this kind of bearded gnome looking guy uh, with an upright bass. And I thought, well, that looks like it's up my alley. So wasn't he a member of Neutral uh, Milk Hotel? Huh? <laughs> he looks like a, he looks like he should be a member of Neutral Milk Hotel. <clears throat> oh yeah, he could be. I don't know. <laughs> I, either that or like one of the extras on uh, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Yes. Wrong color. <laughs> wrong color beanie. That's true. That's why uh, he was cut from the film. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the album was released in 1977, and it's like. Um, Matt's pick. It's very um, short. It's only about 32 minutes, and it's nine tracks. They're all uh, primarily instrumental. There are some vocals, but the vocals um, are in French, and I don't even know if they're really – if they're lyrics or if they're just – because the, the vocals here particularly strike me as being very musical and melodic and less about the words. I'm not necessarily – I have no idea what he's saying, but um, the way the vocals are delivered are very um, – is very musical and kind of – they're treated more like an instrument, which I think helps make it um, very accessible uh, because it kind of adds – because he's playing the bass, so the vocals kind of add the melody on top of it, which I think is really interesting and, and cool. Um, but the track I picked is – I picked a couple of tracks for you guys to listen to because they're so short. But I think we'll go with the first track, which Rich is going to pronounce for us. Les Labas. Yes. <laughs> which is French for – the Labas. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I just I bought this album on iTunes on a whim. Um, I think it's probably less than ten dollars because it's old and and short uh, and French. But uh, I just think it's great. I love the feel of it. It's very sort of textural and and um, you know the bass is very prominent and it's upright bass, which I don't listen to to very much of outside of jazz. And um, the vocals, despite being in French and me being unable to understand them, I think they're um, very wonderfully delivered and. Uh, I don't know. It was um, I listened to a lot of bass players, being a bass player myself, and um, you know this guy's kind of a kind of an outlier that I don't really know much about. But it's um, I love the uh, I love the record. I think it's a great little find, treasure of the internet that I came across. So there you go. Yeah, um, yeah. Listen to this. It reminded me of uh, a show of hands. Mm. And that it's a very bass heavy, bass prominent, you know, bass showing off bass playing record. Yes. But I, I like this one actually better because. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, because the, the, this felt more like songs, you know, vocals aside. And I, the vocals I, were just there. They, they, they're there. I, I, I interpret them as more like just jazz vocals, like sort of like jazzy 70s French scatting. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, if that. Um, and sort of. A show of hands was interesting, but sort of dragged on, and you know it's like okay, bass, bass, bass. Oh, that's a cool thing that he's doing with the bass there. Bass, bass, bass. Okay, that's kind of cool. But this felt honestly like real songs with structure to them. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's something I'm going to immediately you know go back to on a regular basis, but I, I just found it a much, much easier, much more pleasing experience. Yeah, this and record. What, Go ahead, keep oh, going. Yeah, one more thing. Uh, 
And of all the albums this week, uh, this has the best color scheme in iTunes. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, you know, Matt's album is the album art is blue on Wikipedia, and it's like turquoise in the uh, the version that Matt shared with us. Yeah, I think that I think. Let me actually like bring up because I, I this is one that I actually have like the physical CD of because actually most of the stuff I I have the physical CD of because that's how I roll. But um, I'm bringing up. My version, right? Yeah, this this is way too turquoisey from the actual album. The album is like, is it's a light kind of sky blue. Yeah. So I I don't quite get why iTunes decided that, you know, <laughs> we're gonna make it completely kind of weirdly saturated. Yeah. Because like oh. even Jane Birkin on the cover looks kind of red. <laughs> I'll see if I can track down a better version of the artwork. Anyway. Cool. But, um, yeah, I mean, I can totally see where you're coming from, Rich, in the comparison show of hands just because they are both albums by bass players. Um, the, the major differences, obviously, besides the nationalities, are that Victor's album, Victor Wooten, show of hands, his debut album, uh, was recorded entirely just him and four-string electric bass. No overdubs, uh, just, you know, him, him and the four strings. And um, despite... Victor's extraordinary uh, talent on the instrument, and he actually just released a um, an hour long video of how to play, uh, of him teaching the viewer how to play. You can't hold no groove, which is the first track off that album. And I've been I've watched it twice already, and I can't tell you how many hours I'm going to spend pouring over that video. But so, despite his um, his technical prowess on the bass and um, his overall abilities as a musician. The uh, album by Henry Texier is definitely a lot more melodic, and I think it is uh, more listenable because it is not just bass and vocals. Um, and there are minimal vocals, I think, even on Victor's album. But there are drums and there are other instruments, and um, I think Henry's album is subsequently a lot more... Um, easily to listen to and a lot more melodic and a lot more musical in a lot of ways. Although a show of hands is a tremendous accomplishment and a milestone for bass players. Um, I can definitely see where you're coming from uh, with that regard. So yeah, I, I really like this one a lot too. Uh, for me, the the thing that kind of stuck out was the, the way that it, it seemed like kind of a combination of um, jazz and French pop. Like some of the, the phrasing seemed Kind of similar to like some of the you know kind of stuff in like yay yay uh, that genre which Sir uh, Gainsbourg's kind of a part of founder or whatever, <laughs> but I mean it, it it honestly had not only just like a kind of a pop bent but a specifically yay yay kind of bent to me and just just and like I say just in some of the the phrasing and some of the melody lines and and whatnot but I I, I really dug it just because well it it was. You know, real pretty and nice, but also it it really was engaging, and it is cool to hear like a a blending of of genres like that. Mm -hmm. Like just because you know, I mean, it's like I mean, like yeah, yeah, you know. But I mean, it's it's more you know more poppy and more orchestral pop. Oh, yellow, yellow. Yeah, you're there now. Like you're something about there. There's the whole big silent part there. Okay. Um. Or like to think about yay yay that oh okay well I, I like I think yay yay does have like a, a jazz influence in it but it's more about pop and uh, specifically like kind of like that 
older style orchestral kind of pop from you know the you know the fifties and sixties. Um, so, but it's it is like kind of cool the way that uh, Chassier, uh is able to you know kind of blend the genres and do it so so seam- seamlessly, and it just really really works. I I, I really dug this record. Good, I'm glad. Um, yeah, it's this feels much more like a whereas it's kind of hard to explain, but this feels like an album there because there are more instruments. It feels more like an album uh, put together by a guy who happens to be a bass player. Whereas with a show of hands, it's very much a a technical display of of, um, of chops. Um, whereas Henry's album is you know, it's very lush and there are lots of instruments and different sounds in there. And um, he just happens to be um, a bass player who's sort of uh, orchestrating the whole thing. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'd really like to check out more of him, like especially if it's all more or less in this kind of vein. I mean, I, I would I would dig that. Yeah, I haven't. Um, like I said, this is all I all I know of him uh, thus far. But yeah, I mean, the albums are pretty cheap in iTunes. I just clicked on the in the store button uh in iTunes 11 and it looks like his this is only I think it's his second or his third album and I know his uh I think this is his debut Amir and it's only 7 bucks so wow let's see I'm going to hit a preview for a second here yeah right off the bat it sounds like a very similar sort of feel cool mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did think it, like I, one thing I kind of liked about doing like the foreign favorites is because I is, is that it like it kind of lets us all talk without knowing as much. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's it's more about the the gut feelings that we get rather than you know knowing precisely where it lands in you know the history of pop music. If that if that makes sense, I mean, it's like just because you know different countries, oddly enough, have you know different fads and different phases and different evolutions, you know? And I know that, you know, like we're like of these, I, I mean, like I, like I think I know uh, the most about like French pop, but I mean, that does not mean anything, you know, it's basically, I know about yay, 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 or yee, and that's about it. I don't even know how to pronounce the dang thing. So, but, but yeah, I just think it's kind of a, a cool thing where we're kind of, we're all kind of thrown somewhat into the deep end, and it's a little bit of more of I like it because it's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, they're we call them foreign for a reason, not just because you know they're from countries other than ours, but because they are sort of strange and alien, and very much not in a bad way, but in a quite wonderful way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like like even when we were talking about like um, Ivia Ivia Dordro, like it's like you know like. Rich, you know, loves them, but he doesn't even really know a whole heck of a lot about them, you know, or or really where they fit in other than that they're kind of the Spanish Devo. Yeah. <clears throat> and I know nothing about my pick other than that it sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it, it's it's like and even, you know, even with, you know, the stuff that I do know about, like the Gainsbourg, it's still – I am as far from being an expert as you can get practically, you know, and it's just sort of, you know, most of what I know about came from reading the liner booklet, you know? <laughs> so it's, you know, I, I don't know. I just thought it was like kind of interesting that we're, 
we all three of us were kind of thrown, you know, out of out of the safe, I guess, into you know, talking about the music more on a, a gut feeling than a historical feeling. Even though I, I think that's one of the good things about what we do, but it just you know, it, it's fun to fun to work without a net, I guess, sometimes because you know. Who knows? Maybe we just said a bunch of bullshit that, you know, anyone who actually knows about this stuff is going to be like, oh, my God, these three are like the the stupidest motherfuckers on Earth. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's one reason why I didn't pick the uh, the poly, poly six, uh, because, you know, I know you and I both love them, Matt, and we could talk for hours about them. And they're also a little more contemporary so that, you know, we're, we're kind of on top of what they've been up to and what they've been doing. You know, we know their history. Yeah. Yeah. So. That said, I and would I, love to do like some Jap- some Japanese stuff on here one of these days. Yeah, and it's I think a like different band. Yeah, Go and on. I think Japanese music too, like um, has has been like you know much more influenced by um American and, and English music. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you know it's one where like I think in other like especially in European countries you get a bit more of the local flavor. Where uh, with a lot of Japanese stuff, it seems that they're more like aware of what's going on in English stuff, like where you have like, say like the, the poly six where they have like their influence map. And there's like a lot of really cool, not only a lot of really cool bands, but a lot of really cool American and English bands. Or you, or you have like the Shona knife um, song that opens seven, one, two, where they uh, list off a bunch of their influences. And it's like uh, Jonathan Richmond, XTC, uh, Buzzcocks, Captain Beefheart, you know, and it's and there's no there's no Japanese bands in there, which is kind of interesting. Uh-huh. Ramones, you know, what you know, it's 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 something that I find interesting. Where I think where a lot of this, where if you were to ask, like, say, like Henri Textier, like his influences, it would probably be a bunch of French guys that we hadn't heard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a good thing. I mean, I'm not I'm not you know, <laughs> be well, more also- accessible or whatever, but yeah. But you know, also too, Shonen Knife sort of came of age in the uh, sort of the global in a world where you could get foreign stuff in Japan. So, well, yeah, it was a yeah. lot easier. It's and in the age of American pop, American and British pop music dominating the world, and so yeah, yeah. Well, and you also have the the history too, where I mean, after World War II, Japan really did think of the West as more more to be like, I guess, like. Uh, I mean, partly that's just because, you know, it was occupied by the U.S. for, like, you know, quite a quite a while after World War II. I mean, uh-huh. and we, we inf- you know, we influenced a lot, not by being so cool, but by fiat. We basically said, you know, no, this is illegal now or, or whatever, you know, in terms of, you know, some of, some of the other things. Or it's like, yeah, it's sort of, you know, we, we kind of came in there and kind of, you know, bullied our ways out of their culture. But I mean, I guess considering that their culture kind of, you know, before was, you know, kind of, I'm getting hell of offensive here. I'm going to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) But but I'm just saying though, I mean, it was sort of like by fiat, like the, you know, that we kind of, the Americans kind of push their, push their, their culture on there, on there and on them. And it's sort of, had repercussions, you know, throughout. Yeah. I don't know. You might want to cut some of that. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yeah, basically it's interesting stuff. And also too, like 
nowadays we actually have the ability to check this stuff out. I mean, I mean, have you ever been to the import section of a of a major music store? Like every once in a while, but usually it's just bootlegs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bootlegs of American bands, no less. But uh, exactly, yeah. You, know, you have this classification of world music, but you don't get a lot of like foreign popular music. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's you're only kind of beginning to get that. Like Light in the Attic, who did the um, Gainsbourg reissue that I had, is doing some cool stuff with um, with that. Like uh, there's one that I've I just discovered. Um, his name, and I'm probably gonna mangle this. this is uh, it's a Korean artist, Shin uh, Young Hyun, and I mean he he was a uh, pop pop musician and composer and arranger from South Korea. And it's very much pop, and like it's, it, it, it's very interesting that that it's psychedelic, but it's also kind of it again. It has that kind of folk background as well, or I guess what we'd call folk or world music of Korea. You know, it's got that kind of background, but it's still very poppy. Right, and it's that sounds finally nothing like uh, that Gangnam style song. No. Well, this is also from the 70s, too, but... Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing with that, you know, the, the the great thing about the internet is we can discover this stuff, and it's not sort of broken up by a country and uh, lines, which is one of the things that drives me nuts when a foreign band I do like doesn't put out an album in this country. It's like, you know, just, it can't be that hard to just put it on iTunes, because believe me, I don't want to have to steal it or pay out the nose for an import. I know, I know, it's... And that that's kind of the thing that's always driven me nuts is like it, it's if if the media companies could realize that they're in a foreign or a global world now, which I I mean I guess that's redundant, but you know what I mean. It's like mm-hmm. you know it, we aren't really as bound by border anymore in terms of what we can get, and it just seems stupid to say like like oh we're not going to release that over here because the people who want it are going to get it and they're either going to steal it or they're going to, you know, you know, pay for the import. But when an import is like 30 bucks, it awful, it oftentimes makes free look mighty enticing, you know? I mean, I mean, it's stupid too. Cause like, like, uh, my, one of my friends at work, uh, loved Amy Winehouse before she was cool, you know, Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, just because she was like a hardcore, um, Anglophile and would keep up with like the Mercury prizes and stuff. And like, when Amy Winehouse's first album, Frank, like, swept the Mercury's, it was like, oh, my – and she, like, heard a little bit of it. Like, she was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Why can't I get this? And then Black, Back to Black came out, and they still didn't release Frank, you know, even though it was, like, doing really, really good. And they finally they finally released the first album over here, but it was way, way, way too late. And by the time that, you know, they released it, I think most everyone who wanted it already had it, either, you know, illegally or not. And it's like, if you'd released that at the time, you guys could have made a lot more money. But, nope, you're dumb. Yeah, and uh, let's also not, let's let's avoid getting into the releasing an album in the U.S. versus the native country with a different track listing, please, because that would just get you uh, screaming. God, I hate that, too. Although, I mean, for me, like, that, that kind of thing is why God gave us torrent sites because a lot of times like those cases, I will buy the out al- the album in America that, you know, and then I'll just go pick up the, the bonus tracks that I couldn't get in this country and, and call it good. I mean, it's 
you know, but it's I'm still- not even talking bonus tracks. I'm talking about completely different track listings, and it's not a new problem. But just it goes back to the Beatles releases, if not before oh. then. Yeah, yeah, where it's like the same uh, same album title, different complete fucking album. <laughs> Almost, yeah. Like, yeah, I know this happened to Polysix several times. Yeah, it still blows my goddamn mind that they thought to Blackout Fallout should be a bonus track on the American release of Noia, but that's not even had half as bad as what they did with like uh, Now Is the Time and so forth. Yeah, yeah, I, I tell you the truth, like with the Poly Six stuff, I just, I just say fuck it and I just buy the Japanese records and call it good. Yeah. What do you think? And then there's the re-recording of some of the songs in English on We Ate the Machine, and it just sounds so wrong. Yeah, I don't. Okay, even I'm know done complaining. I, I'm done complaining. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if I actually heard this because I didn't, I didn't bother getting the American version of uh, We Ate the Machine. So I got the vinyl version. It was a the two LP set with that and Karate House. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I literally just got it just so I could say I have it. Mm. Because, dude, double LP set of two Poly 6 records? Yeah, that is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, we lost Andrew. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> so, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. <laughs> I don't. I agree, though. That's a pain with the, uh, with the different track listings. Yeah, I just want the canonical version, and the canonical version to me is the version that was released in the native country, typically. Mm. Yeah. Which, yeah, that's where I stand on, like, the Beatles records. Like, uh, I don't want to listen to Meet the Beatles, I want to listen to Please Please Me. Yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of interesting they did end up doing, like, a special box set of the Capitol albums. I think there's two box sets of the Capitol albums, but it's, like, kind of funny because it, it is sort of like, these aren't the canonical ones, but for people of a certain age, these are the ones that you grew up with, so... Mm-hmm. But but for me, it's like well, I I mean, I, my mom had a bunch of a bunch of those, of course. I I really grew up with the albums from the the Parlophone versions, just because like, you know, getting them on 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 CD, it's sort of you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, one last thing growing the Beatles: stereo or mono? Um, I I th- this is one where I grew up with the stereo version, so they're probably the ones I'm most familiar with. But honestly, like. Mono really is the way to go, especially because they were they were really learning in, in mixing. Like, I mean, there's a lot of weird mixing going on on the original Beatles stereo records. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they, they it, it was uncharted territory, and I and I don't blame you know George Martin for that or anything. It's just you know it they they were writing the rule book, and so they didn't know not to put like the bass in one channel because it can make you feel kind of sick, <laughs> you know. I could, I'm mono for everything. Mono for all the mono albums except for the white album. Mm. <clears throat> I'm pretty and sure mine not, are in uh, are in stereo, but I think that mono is the. Just do yourself a favor. Be consider get, the canonical. Get, do yourself a favor, uh, Andrew. Get the mono Sergeant Pepper. Mm-hmm. It is a revelation. It will change the way you listen to that record. I'll have to do that. I'm Andrew looking at all. Assignment. <laughs> I'm looking at all of my Beatles records. In the uh, iTunes 11, and they all say 2009, and I'm gonna throw up. Uh, yeah, I try to avoid that whenever I can. I do too, I, normally, but yeah, I've got the 40th anniversary appended to Pet Sounds, but that doesn't bug me. And yeah, you know, I mean, I'll have like I don't mind like having deluxe edition or mono version, but yeah, or like for me, like that's one of the things that I'll use either comment. 
or the the comments tab or sometimes the uh album tab or album tag is like i would do like like for what i did with the beatles stuff is i did like you know sergeant pepper's uh space bracket 2009 stereo remaster oh i don't even like it in the album title for the most part like it's not you know for remasters like mm-hmm. no it's just a it's just this, it's just that album and if you like every track has x near x year remaster on it that goes oh god that oh. that drives me nuts that yeah. That that is like nails on a chalkboard to me. Okay, we're getting off. T- <laughs> we're gonna. Start oh, getting into we're, this we're actually retreading an earlier show, so we should probably yeah. stop. Yeah. <laughs> so where can we find each other online? AndrewMarvin.net at AndrewMarvin on Twitter and so on and so forth. Uh, KittySneezes.com, KittySneezes on Twitter and Tumblr, and RevMe on Last.fm. Sandspoint.com, Sandspoint on Twitter, Sandspoint on app.net. And uh, we, of course, crushonradio.com, crush on radio on the Twitter, crush on radio on iTunes, love us, kiss us, review us five stars, and we will try to be more on topic next time. <laughs> well, I think we did an okay job this time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe seven out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> That's still passing. <laughs> All right. I got, I got a show to add and some food to eat. <laughs> okay. Bye. 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 Bye, bye folks. <laughs> uh, bye bye.